We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let me read the passage we're going to be covering tonight, and then we'll jump right into it. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, um, if you remember last week, we left off in verse 6, and actually verse 6, verse uh, B, chapter 4, verse 6B is where we left off, and I told you at the end of last week's study that we're going to come back to where we left off, so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to get into this section that I just read, but we're going to come back to chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 6B. Uh, Remember, we talked about living according to God in regard to the Spirit. We've already dealt with the judgment of men in regard to their body. Uh, and what they did in their body. But then look at again at verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. And we just touched a little bit at the end of last week's study on living according to God in regard to the Spirit. And I just told you, we've got to come back because there's some more here I want to deal with. And actually, it's good that we go back, even though you say, Jim, you started in verse 7. Why are we going back to verse 6? You're going to see that that where we're going to go tonight in verse 6 is going to make verses 7 through 11 make a whole lot more sense. So what I'm going to do now is is take a look at how um, in chapter 8 of Romans, go to Romans chapter 8. It's one of those passages I wanted to read last week dealing with this living in, in the spirit. And I just didn't have time. And so in chapter 8, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 11. And we're going to break it down. And so I want you to stick with me here. Because what Paul deals with is a little bit confusing to some. But tremendously important. Tremendously important for help, uh, helping us understand what Peter's talking about. Uh, Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Now again, here we see again, someone writing about this Flesh versus the spirit thing. The NIV hurts us a little bit here because they keep saying sinful nature, sinful nature, when a better translation would be the flesh. I want you to understand, remember what we talked about last week. There's a struggle that's going on in your bodies. Remember we talked about last week, when you got saved, it did not affect your body. You didn't lose pounds, you didn't, cholesterol didn't drop, we talked about that. Your body is still deteriorating because of sin and it's still under the curse. But you were made new in your spirit. The real you, 
that has been made alive through Jesus Christ. And God not only has made your spirit alive, He's put His spirit within you to not only mark you as His, but so that He could live His life through you. And we now are in a daily struggle of dealing with how to live according to the new spirit of God within us and not according to the flesh which still pulls at us. That's why in chapter 12 of Romans, he says that we are to lay our bodies on the altar daily. We have to renew our minds. We have to say no to the world and not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed in, in, in our minds so that we would understand I'm a new creation. Everything's been made new now. My body's still struggling with me. And that's why in chapter 8 here of Romans, Paul starts off by saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember what he just said? in chapter 7, for those of you that know, he's just finished that whole struggle with the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. And then he says this, who can save me from this body of death? And how does he answer his own question? Praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. Therefore, he said, I want you to understand something. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. God is not now judging us according to whether or not we're good or bad. We have been made righteous because of what Jesus did. Now, again, God does care about our behavior, and as a loving Father, He will mold and shape us, but He's not going to love you if you're good and not like you if you're bad. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're no longer going to be condemned, and you are righteous. And look closely at what it says here. It says, look at verse 3. It says, For what the, the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the flesh, God what? God did it. All right, what the law couldn't do was make you righteous. Because when the law said don't, what did our flesh want to do? Do. You know what it's like. Someone says, I dare you. Someone says, I dare you to cross this line. I bet you never will. And whenever you are given a rule, or you can't, or you shouldn't, now everything in, wants, in you wants to. Paul said, I don't even know what coveting was until the law said don't covet. Then all of a sudden, now all this covetous stuff rose up within me. You know, and that's just the way it is. The law actually fuels sin. That's why a lot of us who were raised under legalism have struggled so much because, you know, we keep getting told, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, or you're going to be in trouble. And what does that do? It fueled your sin. It fueled your flesh. Because now my flesh wants to do it more. And so it's not law that makes us righteous. All it does is show us the problem that we have, which is our flesh, which is our sin. And it reveals to us our need of a Savior. But it says that God did it in sending His own Son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he, so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law, look closely what it says here, might be fully met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Now stick with me here because it looks like He puts a caveat there or a clause. Or, or, uh, but, but actually He doesn't. And I'll show you that in this passage in just a second. But look at what it says. Have the righteous requirements of the law been fully met in you? Yes. Yes, if you're in Christ. The righteous requirements of the law have already been fully met. You are already righteous. You're already guaranteed heaven. If you have received Jesus' forgiveness, if He is your Savior, if you've given Him your life and He's put His Spirit in you to mark you as His... God already did what the law could not do through Jesus Christ and the righteous requirements of the law, listen closely, have already been fully met in you. Now for years as I read this, who don't live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit, I thought that I'd have good days of righteousness and bad days of righteousness in the eyes of God because there are some days I lived according to the flesh and not, not again according to the Spirit. Anybody else had that problem? Are there not days that you live according to the flesh and not the Spirit? And some days you live more according to the Spirit than the flesh? And I thought that I was righteous when I had a good day and unrighteous when I had a bad day. That's not what this passage is saying and I can prove it to you by jumping to verse 9. Look at what he says after he talks about those who live according to the flesh. Look at verse 9. He says, you however are controlled not by the sinful nature or by the flesh but by the Spirit. And you see in your Bibles that's a capital S which means the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Did you catch that? So when he talks about whether or not you're controlled by the Spirit or controlled by the flesh, he's saying, whose do you belong to? Have your, has your spirit been made new? And if you have Jesus in you, you, however, now are not controlled. Because if you look back at verse 7, it says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, look closely, nor can it do so. If you're a child of God through Jesus Christ, is it true of you that you cannot 
submit to God's law? No, you hopefully understand you can submit to God's law. You may choose not to. You choose whom you're going to listen to, whether or not you're going to let the Spirit live or you're going to let the flesh live. But here it says it's not possible for someone who is in the flesh to do so. That doesn't describe a Christian. So what Paul is doing here is he's delineating the difference between those who are in Christ and those who are in the Spirit. Now, again, like Paul said, he still struggles with his flesh, but thanks God, thanks be to God, I'm not being judged according to my flesh anymore. I am being judged according to my Spirit, and I am in Christ. And because of that, the righteous requirements of the law have already been fully met in me, Now it's a matter of me learning how to let the same Spirit of God that gave Jesus victory over the flesh have control in my life and begin to manifest this righteousness that I already have. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stop thinking that you're having a good day or a bad day according to whether or not God's happy with you. If you're in Christ, He's happy. Now, we have got to learn how to live according to the Spirit that's within us. Remember how we saw back in 1 Peter 4, verse 6, the Gospel was preached to those who were even now dead, so that men would be judged according to how they lived in the body, and others, those of us who are in Christ, would what? Learn how to live according to God in regard to the Spirit. In other words, let me say it to you this way. Uh, Jesus did not save us just so He could spare us from hell. He saved us so that He could bring glory to Himself by living His life through us. Alright? Now, before we move on and get back to 1 Peter 4, what I want to do is I want to uh, read out of the Net Bible, Romans chapter 8, verses 1-11. through 11. The Net Bible is, is a newer translation that is, is not a paraphrase. This is an actual theologians and Bible scholars, a bunch of them sat down, wrestled with... What would be the best word according to their knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew? And it was done by a group of people who just sat down and they not only gave, came up with a translation that I think is tremendous, but at the same time in it, they, they instead of giving a commentary on what these word, weird words mean or uh, the history, what they deal with is why they chose that word versus other words. And they'll say, in this translation they chose this word, but we didn't choose it because of this reason. In that translation they chose this word, but we didn't choose it because of this reason. It's, it's not the kind of Bible that all of you would want to go get. All right. Let me just tell you right now, first of all, it's $100. Second of all, uh, you're going to sit there and go, that makes no sense. I don't know what he's saying because half is written in Greek and half is written in Hebrew. So the, 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 the commentary. But just listen to how they word Romans 8, verses 1 through 11, and see if it doesn't help you. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person doesn't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through His Spirit who lives in you. Did you catch that? That's great. New American Standard. Yep, exactly. New American Standard is an excellent translation as well. So like I say, this is the net translation. But this is what I want you to hear. So when we get into first, go back to 1 Peter 4 now. What I want you to hear is this. If you are born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to stop seeing yourself as good one day and bad one day in God's eyes and understand that you have already had all the righteous requirements of the law met fully through Jesus. And His righteousness is already yours. 
Now, he's saying, it's already done. You're good. You're clean. You're going to be with me for eternity. Would you let me now begin to live my life through you Daily let me teach you how to let me give your flesh that is still fighting you the victory. And this is why the gospel was preached. Not just so that we would be spared from hell. But God has a much bigger plan in mind. And is that, that is that He would bring glory to Himself by living His life through us and letting people see that God is still alive. And we're going to head to a passage in just a second that you would have never applied to you. Alright, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4 now and look at verses 10 and 11. I'm intentionally jumping uh, to verses 10 and 11 because they tie back to verse 6. And then we're going to look at verses uh, 7 and 8 and 9 as we wrap up tonight. And I'm going to be honest and tell you, we're going to come back next week just to deal with verse 7. The whole verse there, it says, The end of all things is near. We're not even going to touch that baby tonight except to say, see you next week. Alright? We will deal with the end of all things as near next week. But let's look at verses 10 and 11. Because he's just talked about the fact that the gospel is preached that we would know how to live according to God in regard to the Spirit. And then he says here, he says something very interesting. Each one should, re- should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Did you catch that? Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So, again, like I just told you here, here Peter gives some clear examples of living our lives under the Holy Spirit's power and control. And he says, use whatever spiritual gift you have by administering God's grace. See, most of us, if we grew up in the church, we're probably taught to go do our best for Jesus, right? And hope that He blesses it. You know, we've got to be a good steward and i got to work for Jesus. I'm going to do something and give Jesus my best. Right? Have you ever heard that kind of teaching? Give Jesus your best and then hopefully He'll do something with it. It's kind of like, well, here's what I made, God. Here's what I did for you. Would you take it now and do something with it? And as wonderful as that sounds, that's not what the Bible's been teaching. The Bible has been teaching that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Our righteousness, our good works, is as filthy rags. What we're to be doing is to live in the same way in which Jesus did when He was on this earth. Remember? He was given the same type of body that you and I have. His was different though because it wasn't contaminated by sin. Remember, He was born of a virgin and He was without sin. That's the only difference between His body and ours is He was without sin. We had sin passed down to us. But was He tempted like we are? Yes, in every way. And as we touched on last week, He didn't have that filter of God controlling how much we can take. He was tempted, but he lived according to the Spirit of God within him, and he let the Spirit of God control how he acted in all things. And so here, Peter is saying, whatever gift you've been given by God, once you got saved, hopefully you understand that you receive spiritual gifts. And whatever gift you've been given, you need to now live it out, use it, but be careful. Don't go try to use it to the best of your ability. Do it as if God were doing it through you. Understand that you need to let the Spirit now manifest Himself in that gift that you've been given. And let God do it through you. And actually, what people don't realize is, well, look at verse uh, verse, uh, 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as what? Speaking the very words of God. Not saying what God said but actually having God speak through you at that time. Now, I want honesty here. How many of you that scares you to death? Let's be honest here. Let's use some hands. That's scary, isn't it? How do I know when God's speaking through me? Well, we're going to get into all that kind of stuff, and we'll see how far we can get. But what I want to show you is, this is actually how Jesus lived. And I want you to go back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to show you two verses in chapter 14. Actually, three verses in John 14. And then we're going to read a section of it. Because just recently, God has opened my eyes and begun to open my eyes a little bit to something here in John 14 that I've never seen. John chapter 14. Look at verse 10. 
Jesus says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Did you catch that? Jesus says, when I'm talking to you here, it's not me talking. Yes, this is my voice that's being used. Yes, this is my mouth that's moving. But actually, it's the Father living in me who is doing the speaking. Sounds like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, doesn't it? Look at verses 23 and 24. He says... If anyone, he's replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He, does not love me, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not saying this. The Father is saying this. And so as I begin to look at this passage, and I backed up because I always, whenever I study something, I want to look at the context. What happened? What precipitated this conversation? What made Jesus say these things? And when, he, when I did, all of a sudden, something jumped out at me that I had never seen in this passage. And I want you to buckle up. Because I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you think, how dare He say that? He can't say that. Well, listen to what's going on here. In chapter 14, verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Now believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He lives with, it, with you and will be where? In you. Alright? Now, look closely. I, I, I'm going to keep reading here in a section because there's some more that we need to see. But I want to stop and make sure you don't miss what Jesus just said. See, a lot of times people take this verse here, verse uh, 15, and says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And they think that this is a passage that says, if you love God, you'll do what He says. Actually, that's not what the context is saying here. Because look at what He says. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I command, and then I'll give, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Now, what is His command that we're to obey that lets us get the Holy Spirit? To what? To believe that He's the one that He says He is. If you go back to John chapter 6 and verse 28, the, the, disciples, uh, sorry, the Jews ran up to Jesus and said, What must we do to do the works God requires? What's He looking for from us? And Jesus says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He sent. What Jesus is saying here is, If you love Me, you'll do what I say and believe in Me, and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. You see it? Now there are other places where He says, if you love Me, you'll do what I say, referring to other, play, other things, other commands. But in this passage, the command is simply to believe that He is God. And that He can forgive your sins. And that you need to give your life to Him. If you believe Him, and you obey His command, which is to believe in the one God sent... He gives you His Spirit, and the Spirit comes to live in you. Look at verse 18 though. It says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Hang on for a second. Does that sound a little bit familiar? What did Jesus just say back in uh, uh, verse 9? When they said, Lord, show us, show us the Father, Jesus says, don't you know me? Don't you understand that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? 
And then Jesus goes and says, look, I want you to believe that the Father's in me. And these words I'm speaking to you are not my words. It's actually the Father speaking through me. And let me just tell you, if you don't believe for that, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Oh, and by the way, guys, if you believe in me, and and, and because I'm going to the Father, you'll be able to do the same stuff I've been doing. And even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And on that day, you're going to realize if you obey my command and my Father gives you the Spirit, that I'm in you, and you're in me, and I'm in the Father. And for years I've read this passage as Jesus saying, look, I and the Father are one. And yes, that's true. But do you know, in the context of what Jesus is saying, someone could say to you, show me Jesus, and we should be able to say, you're looking at Him. Did you catch what I'm saying? I'm not saying you're Jesus. I'm saying that the same way in which Jesus says, look, as I've been living among you, as I've been yielded to the Spirit of God within me, you haven't seen anything but the Father. It hasn't been me. It's been the Father. In the same way, if we would learn, and it's a process, please don't hear this as, boy, you guys just failed the class, don't come back the next week. No, we all are going to struggle in this. But the Bible says that it is possible for us to begin to learn the reason why the gospel was preached. That you could live according to God in regard to the Spirit. That you could say no to the flesh and daily say, Lord, you're in me and I'm in you. And I want people, when they say, show me Jesus, that I could just say, watch me. Because everything that's going on in my life is Jesus living through me. The words I'm speaking to you are Jesus speaking them through me. Now, now how many people are really scared? Let's be honest. That's very intimidating. But you know why? And Listen to me, and I'm going to say something harsh, but I'm speaking to myself too. That's because you give more power and more credit to the flesh than you do the Spirit of God. I'm speaking to myself too, but I'm going to say it again. The reason we're afraid of this is because we give more credit to the flesh than we do the Spirit of God within us. Folks, God is moving me into a realm of understanding the fact that He says, Jim, you know, I've been molding you and shaping you, and you're doing great, and you let me work in you. But I'm trying to take you to another level and have you deal with some of these passages that you've read, but you've never dealt with. I've got to be honest with you. This whole, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you is exciting and scary at the same time. I don't want to become one of those people that if I believe it enough, God has to do it. I don't want to become one of those people that my faith supersedes the will of God. I don't want to become one of those people that puts my faith in my faith. But I don't want to miss out on what God would have for me and to want to do through me because of my lack of faith in the fact that He's made some promises that I was afraid of. And like I've shared with some of you, the privilege I had of sharing uh, three weeks before he died, spending a day with Adrian Rogers. And when I sat down with him at one point and I asked Adrian Rogers, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do? He said, if I had to do it all over again, if I had to live my life over again, and he didn't know he was going to die three weeks later. He said, I would have believed God for more. And he said, I'm not talking buildings, I'm not talking money. He said, I have come to realize at this late stage in my life, when I've come to understand who God is even more, how much I have limited what God wanted to do in Adrian Rogers' life because of my lack of belief. Folks, I just want to be used of the Lord today to challenge you and to encourage you. Keep reading. You'll see that this gets even more clear. Again, look at verse 20. On that day you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now let me just stop because we don't need to keep going any further in this passage. Did anybody catch what Jesus just said? Does it seem like he ignored Judas's question? If you were just reading it, it looks like he just totally ignored Judas' question. But he didn't ignore Judas' question. He answered it. Listen again. 
Judas says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And then he just says, hey, if anybody believes in me and obeys my commands, Father and I are going to come and we're going to manifest ourselves to them. Did you catch that? In other words, you ask me why I don't want to show myself to the world. I want to show myself to the world. Through you. Do you see it? I want to show myself to the world, but I want to do it through you. See, you want me to have some big presentation, some grandstand, some go say nanny nanny boo boo after I rise from the dead to pilot or something like that. You want to have some event where I do it. It is my desire that I do it through you. And if you believe what I'm telling you, and you'll receive me as your Lord and Savior, my Father and I will come take up residence in you, and we will show ourselves to the world. But we're going to do it through you. Oh, by the way, what does that mean that we need to do in order to have that happen? We need to daily, through what we looked at last week, militantly be willing to suffer in the flesh and say no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit and learn what it means to let God live His life through us. Now guys, girls, let me just tell you. We have a loving Father who doesn't expect us all to go do it tomorrow. I don't want you walking out of here and saying, hey, rise from the dead, get up and walk. Unless He tells you to and you're ready. You might be further along than me. But think about what Jesus said. Think about the fact that not many days after this, Peter and John were on their way into the temple and this guy says, hey, could you give me some money? And they said, we don't got any money, but what we do have, we'll give to you. Get up. Who did that sound like? That sounded like Jesus. Rise and walk. But we're afraid of that. There are some wackos who have taken things of the Spirit to unbiblical realms. But because we're afraid of becoming like them... We have stopped dealing with the fact that the Bible does teach that this is what it means to have Him live His life through you. I'm not even daring go into the fact that believe on the evidence of the miracles. Oh, and you'll do even bigger ones. We're not even try to go down that road yet. We're not ready to handle it. And I don't think I am ready to teach it. But for now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and listen closely and tell me this doesn't read a whole lot different now. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And you know what we're doing in our churches today? What only man can do, or what man can do, so man gets the credit. How many things in our churches today are being done that only God could make it happen? Well, everything in one sense. But at the same time, how many of us are stepping out in obedience to what He said to do in faith so that the world would see you didn't do that? Very few or none. Very few or none. Because most of us, when we go looking at doing anything for God, we sit down in our committee meetings and we look at whether or not it's in the budget. Whether or not, listen to how it's worded, we can do it. Whether or not we have the resources. Whether or not we have enough workers. Whether or not we have enough space. Whether or not all that stuff we look at with man's eyes and we wonder why we sit in Sunday school, we read stories of the Red Sea parting, we read stories of the walls falling down, we read stories of people rising from the dead, and we now say... Well, I've never seen God do that. Well, maybe He stopped working miracles. There's nowhere in the Bible says that He's done. Some people say, well, 1 Corinthians 13 says that prophecy is going to cease and tongues are going to be stilled. And by the way, whenever the Bible is talking about tongues, you've heard me teach on that. I believe it means an extra language. You know, I'm not, like I say, uh, we're not taking the time to get into all that, but actual known language that they've learned to speak. But when it talks about all those things being stilled, listen closely. In the context of 1 Corinthians 13, it's talking about when we get to heaven. I believe without question, God's still doing the miracle thing. But He only wants to do it through us. 
And most of us have stopped learning to live by the Spirit or never learned how to live by the Spirit and we only know how to live according to the flesh. And we spend most of our time in our prayer life, tell me if this isn't you, we spend most of our time in our prayer life asking God to forgive us for our failures in the flesh. And most of the time when people say, how you doing? Saying, hanging in there. My prayer for myself and all of us is that we begin slowly as God leads us on a daily basis to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit of God within us. And He then will begin to do things in and through us that only He could do. I have a sister-in-law up in Michigan. Her name's Carlene. Some of you know her. And she thinks I'm one of the best preachers in the world. But listen to what I'm saying here. It always floors me when my sister-in-laws would want to listen to me teach. But Carlene will just shoot straight and tell it like it is. She says, Jim, the only reason I like to hear you preach is because I know it can be no one but God. Because I know you and I don't like you. But when you speak... (laughs) But when you speak, it has to be God. What comes out of you is not Jim. I know Jim. That ain't Jim. And that's why I've I've said... Because there have been times that I've preached up in her area and they'll come every night. I'm thinking, you guys are hauling all these kids and showing up. Why would you do that? It's just me. This usually ain't you. That's why we're coming. My prayer is that for you as well. That people would say, that ain't you. That ain't you. Has anybody ever thought about the fact that the same Peter who, when a girl said, aren't you with Jesus? And he said no and cursed. Just a couple of days later when the Holy Spirit came down, stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and everyone and said, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. Well, you better quit talking or we're going to do something about it. We're going to listen to God or man. What do you want us to do about it? That same Peter, who was afraid to acknowledge even knew Jesus, all of a sudden was filled with this power that didn't come from Peter. Oh, they thought maybe it came from alcohol. These guys are drunk. No, it's only 9 in the morning. We hadn't had time to get drunk yet. This is the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is available for us. And I'm just going to shoot straight. As God has been stretching me, I'm starting to taste what it means. And it starts off, by the way, when you start to see the manifestation, it's peace. See, we all want to run to the power. Mm -mm. What did Jesus say? We don't have time to go back there, but in John 14, right after that, He said, in this world you're going to have trouble, but in Me you're going to have peace. I've told you these things, that in Me you'll have peace. You want to begin to move into the realm of the Spirit? Stop thinking about whether or not you can do magic tricks. But let Him begin to let His Spirit have control in your life so that you have peace in the midst of your chaos of your world. Say, Lord, let's not worry about me doing any miracles or raising anybody from the dead today. Today I need Your peace. I want You to fill me in such a way that all of a sudden, even when I look at the problems, I don't get mad anymore. I want You to fill me in such a way that when I hear the latest problem or when the car breaks down again or I lose another sale that I just feel a sense of calm because you're with me and I'm fine. Lord, start there. And as He starts there, in time, He will develop and strengthen your faith so that there will be a time maybe that you say, rise and walk. Do you understand? We hear all about the miracles and we want to go get to that level. Uh, Start with the peace. Start with the peace. Um... By the way, I wrote in my notes here, because of this truth, we too can live as Jesus lived while He was on the earth. Knowing the Father's will. Just recently, God has opened my eyes to something. Again, wrestling with John 14, where He says, ask whatever you will, and it'll be, or whatever you want, and it will be given to you. How do we typically pray our prayers? If it be your will. Now that sounds spiritual, because didn't Jesus in the garden say, not my will, but yours? But did Jesus know the Father's will? When he was praying in the garden, he knew the Father's will. He was willing in his flesh to say, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. But what we have done is we have taken, if it be your will, and we've used it as a lazy excuse. You see, here's what I want, God, but I really don't know what you want, but whatever your will is. And now we're not accountable if it doesn't go the way we want because we're just praying for God's will. But you know what? I believe the Bible teaches that we will know His will. 
You should know His will. Jesus knew the Father's will. Jesus never said, man, I really don't know what God wants to do here. Do you understand that if you allow the Spirit of God to live through you and you learn how to live in the Spirit, He will show you His will. What did He say? The Holy Spirit's coming. I have more to show you, more than you can now bear. But when He comes, He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to... You're going to know the will of the Father. Not only that, you're going to have God speak to, to you and through you. You're going to hear when you're going to know when God's talking to you, and you're going to, He's going to speak through you, and you're going to live a life in this world that demonstrates God's power. So now, look at verses eight and nine, though. I'm sorry, seven, eight, and nine. Again, we'll deal next week with the end of all things is near. Therefore, because of this, we need to be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that we can pray. In other words, He says this. Say no to the flesh. That's that self-control thing. Have you ever noticed it? You ever notice one of the evidences of the Spirit in you is what? Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. It's the last one. We don't have to go any further, right? But it's the one we probably struggle with the most. Is self-control. Oh, by the way, can you control your flesh? I'm asking you a serious question here. Can you control your flesh? No, you cannot. You cannot. Who's the only one that can control your flesh? Only Jesus that's within you. Vance Havner put it real well. He said, only one Christian life has ever been lived. You can't live the Christian life. Only one Christian life has ever been lived, and Jesus lived it. And He wants to live it again through you and through me. You have to learn to let Him, as Jesus let the Father live through Him. What did Jesus say in John 5? The Son can do nothing by Himself. He only does what He sees the Father doing. The Father's doing this. You cannot say no to your flesh. But the Spirit of God within you, who has already lived in this body, who said no to the flesh, can give victory to your mortal bodies just like mine. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's correct. If you couldn't hear what she's saying, she said, oh, I've asked you a couple of times tonight, oh, is this scary? Are you afraid? And she's right. You can't accept what we're talking about here until you, by faith, say no to the fear. It's okay with Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, and, and, and I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, let's be honest, Paul was afraid. In Acts 27, when the shipwreck was happening, it literally says, Paul, Luke wrote this, we all had given up hope of being saved. And then the angel of the Lord comes next to Paul and says, don't be afraid. So you're going to have waves of fear. But it's when those fear come, the fear comes, are you going to listen to the flesh? Or are you going to listen to the Spirit within you? I'm only human. No, you're not. You're not only human. You're supernatural. I have a question. Sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said that God judges you uh, by spirit. Yes. Now he's still dealing with our behavior, but he sees you according to who you are in your new in your new creation. Yes, go ahead. So you, you, for those who couldn't hear, her question is, uh, before Jesus took on flesh and died for our sins and all that, how did He judge people? Because right now, because of Christ, we're in Christ and He judges us according to our new creation and who we are. How did He judge people? In the same way, by faith. See, because in God, we, we see things in a timeline. But remember, God's name is I Am, not I was or I will be. It's, it's all now to Him. That's why He knows every little thing because it's all present tense to Him. Because of that, when Abraham had faith and God gave him righteousness, it's because God already knew that Jesus had died. You see what I'm saying? So in the same way, we're given righteousness because of our faith. God, He died before the foundation of the world. In our time, it took place 2,000 years ago, but it, He was crucified, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. 
I'm sorry? Abraham lived according to the Spirit in the sense of the Spirit of God would come upon men of the Old Testament. We're actually in a blessed time that the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. Remember how David said in Psalm 51 when he sinned with Bathsheba, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember how Saul, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and they said, is Saul one of the prophets? And then because of his disobedience, what did God do? He removed his Spirit and his power from Saul. In the same way, David was afraid, that might happen to me. We don't have to worry about that. He'll never remove His Spirit from us because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we have a benefit. We're living in the age of grace. We're living in a wonderful time period. The year of the Lord's favor, as it says in Isaiah 61. But always, and always it has been, and always it will be, faith is what God rewards. Faith in God's provision for our sins. Before Christ, the That's right. Well, that's remember Jesus said, it's good for you that I'm going away, because until I go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. But when I go away, then He'll come, and I'll be with you all, all the time. It's a wonderful thing. Good question, though. Alright? So He says, we need to say no to the flesh, be clear-minded so we can pray, and we need, by the way, does anybody know why He says it's important for us to pray in the context of what we're looking at here? I hope somebody knows in this room. Why is it important to pray? What are we talking about? We're talking about learning to live according to the Spirit as, regard to, as opposed to the flesh. How does that happen? Do you just... It's a relationship. You got, it's a, very good, Gary. It's a talking and a listening, listening thing. Folks, you don't say mantras. You don't you know, whisper the magic words and then you live according to the Spirit. Why did Jesus spend so much time praying? Why did Jesus say this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting? Why did Jesus go off many times by Himself? Now, it wasn't a regimented, legalistic duty thing. And one of the ways I can prove it to you is in Mark chapter 1, Jesus got up really early in the morning and He went off to pray. The disciples get up and they can't find Him. Now, think about this. If He had gotten up every morning, early, early, and gone off to pray, they would have known where He was and how long until He came back. Many of the time in our house, we'll wake up and Becky's gone. But we don't freak out because she leaves us all the time. But no, uh, no, it's, it's because every morning Becky will get up and it's a regimented thing. She walks the dog. She and the dog go for a walk. As we wake up and there's no mom, we know where she's at and we know when she'll be back. But when Jesus went off that morning, they didn't know where he was. So don't turn this into a legalistic, you've got to do it and you know get points because I did my prayer time. You've got to understand your need to spend time in your relationship talking to Him. And He talks to you and He begins to teach you and mold you. Stop looking at prayer and Bible study as legalistic duty stuff. No, look at it as breathing. Look at it as feeding. And He will, through that time, begin to teach you what it means to live in the Spirit. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. That's a wonderful illustration of it. Yep. He also says, "Love each other here," and I love how he puts it because this love covers a multitude of our failures, doesn't it? We're a lot more forgiving with people who know that love us. And he just says, "You know what? You're going to get this perfect, but if you love each other." Trust me, for those of you who had me as a pastor over the years, you know full well I was not the best pastor. Hey. (laughs) Yet at the same time, you knew I loved you. And you put up with a lot of stuff because you knew you were loved. In the same way, let the Spirit of God love people through you. Let the Spirit of God love people through you. He also says offer hospitality. Open up your homes and your lives to others. And how are we to do it according to this passage? Without grumbling or complaining. Not, all right, I'll do it. Without grumbling or complaining. All of what we just talked about, though, here was precipitated by the end of all things is near. How long ago was that written? A little less than 2,000 years ago, right? 
What in the world does that mean? See you next week. See you next week. Let me pray for us. Father, we could easily have spent a lot of time tonight gone and taking a look at the different passages that teach on spiritual gifts, but it would have derailed us from what you're really wanting us to go home with tonight. The fact that the gospel was preached so that men would be judged according to what they did in the body, and we who have received you as our Lord would learn what it means to live according to you in regard to the Spirit. And Lord, I can see on the faces tonight that what we're looking at is truth, and we know it's truth. Yet at the same time, this whole idea of learning to yield to your Spirit still seems kind of nebulous to us at times. It's kind of hard to put our hands on it. Just like when you say, love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't don't really know how to do that at times. But you are the teacher. And you're the one who lives within us. And all you've told us so far is, I want you to live according to the Spirit and not the flesh. You've already shown us tonight that we're no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit, because you live within us. And because of that, the righteous requirements of the law have already been fully met in us because of Jesus. And there's no condemnation. So we've got a freedom now to make mistakes. We've got a freedom now to, to, to try things without worrying about failure. We've got a freedom now in you to begin this process of letting you teach us what it means to let you live through us. And so far, all we've heard from you tonight from this passage is say no to the flesh, self-control. Which again, it has to be by your power, not ours. And to pray. We're to be open with each other. Not Hospitality is more than just letting people stay in your house or having home for a meal, but it's opening our lives to others. It's being honest. It's being willing to uh, confess our faults one to another and be able to be healed. It's to love one another and just be open in this process and this journey of You molding us. Father, as much as we all understand that You're not done with us and that You're still shaping us, may we have that mindset when we deal with each other that You're still shaping them as well. And we thank You for Your patience and may it be manifest through us to others. And Lord, my prayer is that down the road, someone who asks us to show them Jesus, we could say, just watch my life. Paul did that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Whatever you've heard or seen in me, put it into practice. And he wasn't wanting them to be his followers, he was wanting them to be followers of you. Lord, thank you for the fact that this is possible. That this isn't theory. This is possible. But it begins on a daily basis, throughout the day, of being sensitive to You, communicating with You, allowing Your Word to teach us about You and about us, and then by faith receiving it. Lord, You told us about salvation. You called out to us. And the whole idea of just believing that You died for our sins and receiving it by faith seemed intimidating and scary. But when we took that step, You did something supernatural inside of us and we know we're Yours. Lord, may we learn to walk in You in the same way. That what You say is true, and we can apply it if we'll believe it and act like it's true as we ask You to do it. Bring us back next week to deal with what does this, the end of all things, mean? We pray this in Your name. Amen.